in a uh, series called Immerse, where we've talked about reaching up and uh, just really making God first in our lives, reaching up through prayer, reaching up through worship, reaching up to God in all of those ways where we just surrender to Him and love Him for who He is. Then we talked about reaching in, and I mentioned or taught on that last week, talking about how our relationships together, building Christian community that's real, that's transparent, that's authentic, uh, in the midst of all of our own brokenness and issues that we deepen our relationships together. And today I'm going to talk about reaching out. And reaching out is one that sometimes we get stuck on. You know, uh, I think a lot of Christians really like the idea of reaching up, and a lot of us like maybe the idea of even reaching in, but we can often get stuck there to where we don't maybe reach out in a way that we would like to. Many, uh, many times we come to church, don't we, and we enjoy the inspiration of being together, and that's a good thing, by the way. It's a good thing to come and make this part of your regular life. Uh, and we, we enjoy meeting together and deepening relationships, but uh, it's easy for those, kind of, for those times where we kind of connect with one another just to turn into Bible studies that, that maybe even turn into a support group. Uh, and never really go to the point where we're cultivating those relationships outside of our Christian circle to those that really need to know the message of God's goodness and His grace, reaching out to the broken world around us. After all, that is what disciples are called to do, right? That's what we're called to be, is disciples who not only follow Jesus, but reach out in His name, reaching up, reaching in, and reaching out. Back uh, at the very first Sunday of January, you'll remember I gave everybody money. And you're like, you did? Where was I? Well, I don't know. <laughs> but you'll remember it, though, because everybody got some money, different amounts, and some 20, some 50, some 10, I think is what it was. And, and, uh, and, and the idea was, go and make a difference in the community. Take what you have, and pray over it, See, ask God to help you multiply it with your time or with maybe adding to it or getting other people to be a part of it, being innovative, being creative. And it's been cool to hear some of the stories that have come back, and I'm going to share uh, one with you a little bit later, but uh, just to hear the different ways that people are reaching out is, is pretty cool. I, I know one person has uh, got a huge goal to raise a lot of money and help uh, build a well in another country and to uh, help provide clean drinking water. Another person or another group, I think, uh, helped uh, one of the kids, or maybe it was two of the kids, go to our winter camp and uh, so that they, they were in need, they couldn't go, and they were able to go and be able to really deepen their walk with God there. Um, I know others have given and supported and helped be a part of Union Gospel Mission, Vanessa Behan, Women's Shelter. Um, I know of another person that helped uh, a rehab clinic that was a part of their journey. One person provided warm clothes for someone going through chemo who needed it. Another person purchased boots and socks for a coworker working alongside of them that was in need. Um, and 
There's just so many different ways when we just are listening to God, we're ready to reach out, we're ready to just say yes at whatever he might ask us to do. So keep those stories coming in. We actually set up an email called story at lifecenternorth.org that you can email to. Or if you like, you know, paper and pen, then uh, get one of the story cards out at the information counter and use that. But you have another month and a half or so to go in our 90-day challenge. God is a missionary God. He is a sending God. He's a missional God. There's a Latin phrase used to describe this idea, and it's missio dei. And missio dei simply means the mission of God. And we are called to be on a mission with God because that's the kind of God that he is. Ed Stetzer, author, uh, said this. He said, it is not the church of God that has a mission in the world. It's the God of mission that has a church in the world. I think that's important to understand because mission, all too often, we think of as a trip we take, right? Or a person that's a little crazy we send off to another country, get rid of them anyways. Or we, we think of a, a department of the church that we run, Rather than mission being something every one of us are called into in the everyday of life. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, if you have a Bible open there, we're going to start there. It says this, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Aren't you glad that God is a sending God, that he sent his own and one, his one and only son into this world? See, if it wasn't for God sending his son into the world, I would still be lost, dead in my trespasses and sins. And we all would, for that matter, still just trying to scrap and make our own way, live by our own rules, keep ourselves at the center of our own universe, We'd still be living in all of the broken relationships and the addictions of our life. But God sent his son to make a difference into this world and into our lives. And, and I, if he would not have done that for me, I wasn't looking for God when he found me. God was looking for me. God is looking for you. He's ascending God. He's a God of initiative. He's a God that pursues. He's a God that is looking for you today if you don't know him. What Jesus came, uh, Jesus sent by the Father to this earth. He lived among us. He died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. He ascended to heaven. And in all of that, what did Jesus then say to us as those who would be his disciples, his followers, those who would love him and serve him, those who would receive forgiveness for our sins. Here's what Jesus said in John 20, verse 21. Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. You see, 
God the Father sent the Son to the world, into our lives. And now the Son sends us into the world to represent Him. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, so He breathes the power of His Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, into our lives, into our spirit, that we're made alive and we're empowered now to make a difference in the world. So many Pentecostals um, think that the Holy Spirit is mainly just to have amazingly wonderful worship services. You know, to see the spiritual gifts in the church happen. And though I don't discount that, the Holy Spirit was always given that we would be on mission with God, that we would be His sent ones in our broken world, and that we would need the power of God's Spirit to flow in spiritual gifts, to minister in His name. The same Spirit that Jesus relied on is the same Spirit we need, and thankfully, He's breathed it into our very beings. A few months ago, I had an interesting experience. I was uh, in my office with Scott Kilpatrick. Scott, of course, is one of our uh, wonderful teaching pastors here, and, but he's got, he's got this unique gift that not only can he, is he a great communicator and teacher, but he also can think about like details of finances, which are hard for a lot of people. And he's so good at that. And he, he's one of the reasons why, uh, as a church, we've been able to stay very healthy, you know. What an important and overlooked thing to just stay really healthy financially as a church and balance things and, and be good stewards. Uh, over that which has been entrusted. And so, anyway, Scott's that kind of guy. And we're down in my office. We all share offices. None of us have individual offices. And so we're down there, and we're talking, and we're discussing something really deep, like, you know, how to balance a budget. And, and uh, my window faces that way into the neighborhood. I'm on the first level. And, you know, the blinds were down, and windows all around, but the blinds were kind of shifted open a little bit where you can see out, but you can't really see in. And out of the corner of my eyes, we're sitting there talking about budgets and talking about the finances and stuff. I see somebody walking over, and I'm wondering, who is that? What are they doing back in back of the building? And, uh, and they kept coming, and I noticed it was an older lady, and she kept coming, and she, pretty soon she's like right in front of my window. Scott and I stopped, and we're like, what is she doing? I don't understand. Well, she um, evidently had to go to the bathroom because she squatted down and relieved herself. We're like, oh, no, no, no. What's going on? Scott, what do I do? He's like, I don't know. They didn't tell me about this at Bible school. (laughs) True story. Now, if you happen to be that person, I want to tell you it's all right. We didn't see anything. We really didn't. But please, come inside. We have... We have restrooms inside the building. You're welcome. Come in. I implore you. It was interesting because in weird things like that, you know, God speaks. And you're like, really? What did he say to you? (laughs) What God said to me in this awkward and bizarre time was, was Mike, you know, you're, you're willing to take care of me. You spend an enormous amount of time taking care of all the messes inside the building with meetings and people and ministries and all of that, just dealing with Christians. And, but are you willing to look outside your window and deal with a mess that's in the brokenness of our world? And I realize that 
needed to repent. I realized that a lot of my, almost all of my time was being spent just inside the confines of Christian circles, trying to make things run well and caring for people uh, and so forth, but that God was really calling me not just to be a minister to the found, but to be a missionary to the yet-to-be-found, to be in the world, caring for the brokenness and the mess, messes that go on outside. See, every one of us are called as both ministers and as missionaries. When I was in my early 20s, I remember wanting to be a missionary overseas, wanting to go to a different country. Part of it was just kind of, you know, I was in my early 20s. I was kind of bored with life and, and wanted to make a difference, too, at the same time. And so I talked to my pastor, and I said, I want to go to another country and be a missionary. And how do I prepare? And he gave me some of the best advice that anyone could ever give. He said, well, the best missionaries over there are great missionaries right here. What are you going to do now in our community to make a difference? And I don't know why, but I just thought, no, I want to go you know, get on a ship and go to YWAM or go just do something different. And, and he directed me back to my own community. So I began to pray and ask God, and we were in a life group, leading a life group, and we ended up being directed by the Holy Spirit to invite this group home that was, had a lot of people who had special needs into our life group. And you can imagine that changed the dynamics of our life group. And we began to just include them and involve them and accept them and, make, and just grow together. Another thing that he directed us is living right next door to us in a garage apartment was this man from Nicaragua that couldn't speak English. And the Lord directed us to just help him begin to learn English. And so we spent months with him learning the English language. You see, it breaks God's heart when we become consumer Christians. A consumer Christian is a Christian that, yes, believes in Jesus, but they're always looking for the excellence and the quality of the religious goods and services around them. Looking for, you know, the right kids' programs, Bible studies and worship services and deeper teaching and all of that. And we get deceived into thinking that the church exists to serve our needs. And the truth is, you are the church. You are. You are called to meet other people's needs. You and I are called to be Jesus in our city, to love like he loved, to serve like he served, and de to declare his amazing grace in all the ways that he might lead us to do it. We're called to lay our lives down for the king, to live for a cause greater than for ourselves, and there is no greater cause than the cause of Christ. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 28, before he ascended to the Father, he said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. See, this is God's mission for our lives. First, we're called to be a disciple. To be a disciple, that's different than a religious consumer. That's different than a consumer Christian. That a disciple is a surrendered servant of Jesus. 
A disciple is an apprentice of Jesus, learning the ways of Jesus and then doing the works of Jesus. Let me ask you, have you ever made the decision to become a disciple, to be surrendered? No holds barred. If you're honest and you think, well, I'm not sure I've actually done that, Ask yourself, am I a consumer Christian? Coming to church when it's convenient? Sacrificing for Jesus when it's easy? Obeying the Bible only when it makes sense to me? Never giving voice to my faith? See, that's what a consumer Christian looks like and feels like. And just understand and know that there is no power in that form of Christianity. There's no power in it. So don't be confused if you're trying to be a Christian and living like that and it doesn't work and it feels boring and old and mundane and there's no adventure in it and you wonder where the miracles are. That kind of faith always feels optional. Optional to serve God. Optional to be in committed community. Optional to obey. Optional to give. God is calling you and me to something more radical. He called it he, he kind of painted the picture this way. He said, unless you lose your life, lay it down. Quit trying to serve yourself and your own goals. You'll never find your life. And that life is a life hidden in Christ. Jesus calls us to that kind of Christianity, that kind of discipleship. In the Great Commission uh, that we just read in Matthew chapter 20, 28, The first thing we're called to is to be a disciple, to be a disciple, to make that decision, to be a disciple. The second is to be a disciple maker. He said, go and make disciples. That's not the job of a few religious professionals. That's every one of our role. That's part of our identity as a Christ follower, that we become a disciple and we become a disciple-making disciple. Do you see yourself in that role? Would you say to yourself, as you look at yourself in the mirror, I am not only a disciple of Jesus, I am a maker of disciples. I'm a disciple maker. I'm a disciple making disciple. See, that's what God has called us to. Every one of us who names the name of Christ. In the letter written to the Corinthian church, the apostle Paul confirmed this when he said, Uh, this in 2 Corinthians 5, he said, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry, the service of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. That appeal, that appeal is good. It's good news. God's no longer counting our sins against us. He's calling us back into relationship with him. It's the best news on the planet. How does God make his appeal through you? Well, first of all, if he's changed your life, you become a trophy of his grace. He becomes the hero of your story. And as a servant of Christ, we love others. We serve others. We forgive others in our work, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, on our sports teams. And we have the opportunity to declare just how good he is by using ourselves as a starting point of what he's done. 
that he came to make all things new. He came to give people purpose. He came to restore broken lives. He came to save us and reconcile us back to God. That's the good news of the gospel. That's why I want all of our life groups to not only reach up and reach in, but to reach out. And every rooted graduate and every Christ follower to see themselves as a sent one. You see, as a life group, who, what could you do as a group together? Maybe to adopt the public school right down the street from where you meet and begin to find ways to serve mentoring kids. It might be to partner and come alongside of Serve Spokane. It might be to be a global neighbor and to, uh, with, along with the help of World Relief, reach out to a family that's moving here as a refugee that's lit, had a very hard life and help them feel family and make them feel a part of Spokane and be a part of their initiation here in Spokane. There's so many ways that we can serve and love people. Jesus, you'll remember the story when he was talking to this very religious person, very busy doing a lot of religious things. And the man asked, Jesus, what must I do to be saved? What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, you know, kind of gave him the standard list that he was looking for. And he's like, yep, 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 done all those. And Jesus said, you're loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's like, oh, who's my neighbor? making sure he can check that one off. And Jesus told this story. He said, it, he said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him, and then they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest, or let's call him a pastor, happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side probably too busy working to care for all of the people of God. So to a Levite, we'll call that a kid's ministry volunteer. It's just a Levite was a servant in the temple, just helping make things run. When he came to the place, he, he, he saw him and he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, and we'll call him a cross-dressing liberal atheist coming back from a pro-abortion rally, that's, that, that's what he was. That's what Jesus was trying to say. As he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then this man, he, he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have had. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law, flabbergasted, said, well, I guess the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Unless you think I'm exaggerating, this is exactly the impact Jesus wanted that parable to have upon that listener and any, any other listeners, was that when you get too busy trying to be good or trying to be religious or trying to just volunteer and you forget to be listening to the Holy Spirit as to what he might have you do, 
We get so involved in our Bible studies and our support groups and in our church service that we can forget about the needs that exist all around the world and right in front of our face. See, being a missional person doesn't mean going on a mission trip. It doesn't mean attending an event to feed the hungry. Being a missional person is the calling of every Christian who lives on mission every day. To have our eyes and our hearts opened. To have a willingness to stop. To be willing to get personally involved in the mess and the brokenness of other people. To be givers. To enter into that. And let me just tell you, that's scary to me. Because that sounds very time intensive. That sounds messy. And it's something I need to recommit myself to. Let me just close our morning with this story that came in about our missional challenge that I gave reference to earlier. And here's what she said. For the 90-day challenge, I received a $20 bill. I looked at the $20 as money I was given to be the hands and feet of Jesus for someone else. Almost every day I would think about the money in my purse and then say a prayer. God, show me how I can best use this money to serve you. Well, as I was leaving work on Wednesday, I said a prayer and I pulled out of the parking garage literally as soon as I finished praying, God showed me what, I, uh, what he wanted me to do with the money. For right there in front of me across the street was a shopping cart piled high with items most of us would consider garbage. On the ground next to the cart lay a black tarp covered in blankets and clothing. Behind the shopping cart was a person, clearly homeless, but I couldn't tell if it was a man or a woman. I was a little shocked that literally seconds after I said the prayer, I was looking at a person right in front of me who clearly could use someone to be the hands and feet of Jesus. But I passed the person and ignored the voice that said, that person, you need to help that person. My first thought was, No, God, remember, somebody already had a story about a homeless person. I can't just copy what they did. I need to do something different. So I continued driving, got on the Maple Street Bridge to head home to take a nap after a long night of work. But as I continued driving across the Maple Street Bridge, I found myself arguing with a voice. Turn around. Go help that person. But God, I'm exhausted. I was really looking forward to taking a nap. And besides, I'm wearing my work clothes. I have a skirt on and even heels. Don't you think I should dress down a little before I go help a homeless person? Turn around. Go help that person. But God, it is a homeless person. Remember that. They could be on drugs, have a weapon. I'm all by myself. That doesn't seem very safe. Turn around and go help that person. Okay, fine. I'm turning around. I have an idea. I'll go to Starbucks. I'll get them a hot chocolate. It's 34 degrees out, so a hot chocolate would help warm them, would be a way to strike up a conversation. So despite my nerves, I listened. I got the hot chocolate. I drove back to where I saw the person. I parked my car and could see now that it was a man sitting behind the cart. He looked very worn, probably in his 60s. He had long gray hair and a long gray beard. His face covered with deep wrinkles, looked red and chapped. He was doing something with a broken piece of glass in his hand that came to a jagged point as he hunched over behind the cart, but I couldn't tell what he was doing. I thought to myself, okay, as a woman alone, I'm pretty sure this is something I wouldn't advise, but I had a piece about me, and I knew I was going to be okay. I 
walked up to the man, introduced myself, and asked his name. Ron Wilson, he said. I gave him the hot chocolate, and that alone made him so grateful, it brought a smile to his face. Thank you, he said. It's hard to stay warm out here. I then saw a big pile of hair in a box next to him. I looked down at it, and he seemed to get embarrassed. Sorry, I'm, I'm just trying to cut my hair and trim my beard, he said as he scratched his hand across his head. His scalp was so dry and flaky it looked painful. It's gotten so long, but I, I, I haven't had any scissors, and I found these. He held up a broken piece of mirror and the envelope opener. He was using the tiny blade of the envelope opener to cut his hair and his beard. He would slip his hair under the plastic part of the opener and slide it across the blade to cut it, and he used the broken mirror for guidance. I told Ron I wanted him to know that God loves him and has a plan for his life. For me personally, just saying those words to a stranger was a huge step of faith for me. I can say for sure that at this time in my life, I feel the furthest I have ever been from God. I tell you this so you can understand how terrified and awkward I felt telling a complete stranger that God loves him, has a plan for his life, something I myself have struggled to believe lately. Well, guess what Ron said? He said he knew God loved him. He was a Christian. He believed in Jesus, and he said he could feel God's presence every day all around him. I asked him if it was hard to have faith amidst the circumstances of his life. My faith makes my life possible, he said. If I didn't have Jesus, I don't know how I'd make it out here. God takes care of me. He's my rock. He then showed me a box of rocks under his shopping cart. It was something he loved to do, collect rocks. He kept talking. I found out he had been homeless on and off for about eight years. He was from Arkansas and had survived two tornadoes that killed many of his family and friends. He had a son who passed away many years ago at three and a half months old from SIDS. He talked about his father who had passed away as well. I could tell he admired his dad a lot. He also admitted that he and his ex-wife had drug problems, and yet he didn't do drugs anymore. Here was someone who had been through so much more pain, suffering than I had, someone who literally owned nothing. He was homeless, cold, knew what it was like to be hungry, and yet he had so much faith. I was supposed to be stopping to share God's love with him, but actually he was sharing God's love with me. I then noticed again all the clothes and blankets piled on a tarp. They looked soaked, but also icy from the cold temperatures. Ron saw me look at them, and he said, someone gave me $10, so I was going to do some laundry at the laundromat up the road. That's when I knew what I needed to do. I knew why God wanted me to help this man. As I looked at the heap of clothes on the tarp and then back at the shopping cart that was already overloaded, I didn't know how this small, frail man was going to get everything to the laundromat. Between coats and shirts and pants and hats and gloves and socks, sleeping bags, several blankets, Ron easily had five loads of laundry to do. We loaded everything in the back of my car, and as I carried piles of clothes to my car, I couldn't believe how wet and cold everything was. Ron said recent rain and snow had pretty much soaked everything he had. When I asked him, how do you stay dry, he said he would just find a place to build a fire to dry out his clothes for the day. As I left to go to the laundromat, Ron said he would meet me there with his cart, which was about seven blocks away. When I got to the laundromat, I was shocked that the large washing machine fits four, three full loads 
cost $6, and dryers were 25 cents for only five minutes. Ron's $10 would have been enough for maybe half his clothes. How could anyone afford to do laundry, let alone a homeless person? As I loaded Ron's clothes into the washer, I really saw how soiled they were. They smelled terrible, a mix of body odor and campfire smoke. Then my hands started to go numb from touching the cold, icy clothes. I looked down at my fingers, and they were starting to turn white. This was only another reminder to me of everything I have to be thankful for. $24 later, Ron's clothes were all drying and about to be finished when I still had not seen Ron. I'd been at the laundromat for over an hour. I was a little concerned why he wasn't there. I was already running late to get my daughter to gymnastics. So I told the woman who was attending the laundromat that Ron would be coming soon. I circled around the block and saw Ron ever so slowly pushing his cart up a slight incline. He kept stopping to pick up items as they fell out of the cart. Again, I wondered, how would he have ever got his clothes to this laundromat? It would have taken him hours. I pulled over and told him his clothes were almost dry. He wouldn't stop apologizing for how long it took him to get there. Despite me assuring him it was fine, he stammered, just a second, I have to give you something. He bent down, he picked up a rock from his rock collection, he kind of polished it off with his shirt, and he said, here, it's my favorite one. God bless you. Isn't it amazing that when we stop, when the Holy Spirit shows us a need, and we just listen, and we are the hands and feet of Jesus in any situation, that not only are we meeting the need in the moment, but God has a way of changing us in the process to give us a bigger heart, to help us see that he has invested in us. He came for us that we could go and be there for others. We are sent ones. We are called to minister and to see ourselves as sent ones in his name in all the ways that he might lead us, not just downtown with people that are homeless, but with kids that need dads and moms. And with newcomers to our city that are from another country. And for those that go without food on the weekend, and for those whose lives are just ravished through broken relationships and pain and hurt, and they need to find their way back to God. God wants to use you, and he wants to use me. Outside the walls of this church, to be Jesus incarnate, on mission, in the everyday. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much that you did not sit idly by watching us suffer, but you came for us. You left heaven, came to earth. Lord, would you let that impact my heart again, fresh and new. That even when I wasn't looking for you and I didn't give a rip about you, God, you loved me. You came for me. You were sent. And now you're sending us. Maybe you're here this morning and just realize that you've been a little bit too focused, maybe a lot too focused on yourself as a believer, as a Christian. 
Too much has been around what will feed me. What's in it for me? What will the church do for me? Maybe it's time to realize and begin to own the identity that I'm a disciple. I am the church. I'm called to pour out. I'm called to minister in the name of Jesus. I'm called to be a sent one. If that's you, I want to pray with you and just invite you to pray this along with me. Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me for making being a disciple something so far less than what it actually is. That I don't want to be a consumer of religious goods and services. God, I want to be living on mission. And I want to lose my life that I might find it. So today, Lord, I want to turn a corner. I want to come to you. I want to repent. And I'm asking, God, that you would pour your spirit into me fresh and new, not just so I feel better for the day, but, God, that I would be empowered to serve others well, to serve in your name, to cultivate relationships with those who don't know you. God, to be willing to get involved in the mess of people's lives. Maybe you're here this morning. You just don't know the God I'm even talking about. You haven't surrendered your life and your heart to him yet. Today can be that day for you where you begin to live a whole new purpose as you acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and let him be the forgiver of your sin. And if that's you and you want to step across that line of faith today, pray with me, would you? Jesus, I'm inviting you in. That you came for me. You loved me. Lord, I don't want to live in my own selfishness and sin any longer. I don't want to live by my own agenda any longer. God, I want to live for you. So I'm inviting you in, God. I'm asking that you rearrange my life, starting with my heart and my mind. And pour your spirit into me. Make me new. Forgive me. Empower me now to make a difference with my life. Show me what it means to be an authentic Christ follower. Lord, we just thank you for your amazing grace in every one of our lives, redeeming and restoring and reconciling us back to you. In Jesus' name, amen.